In the broadcast journalism class of my high school, they were in some ways required to provide students with success. Namely, they had to provide us with cameras. And we had quite a few camcorders to rely on for everyone to use, though the only thing that was getting in the way was the fact that everyone needed to use them. But the thing I had to learn about teenagers at this point is this is really the first time in their lives where they begin to learn independence on a semi-adult level, so they tend to spend money like adults. Some of the kids continue to use the camcorders, which, hey, more power to them. That's what they're there for. That was the point of the class. And some of the kids decided to get their own cameras, so that way they can have their own freedom, their own creative expression. That way they don't have to fight to have their voice be known in groups. And ultimately, thanks to my perfectionism, I decided to join the latter party and invest in my own DSLR. And in three to five days, because this was back before Prime was the norm, I obtained my first ever camera. A Nikon D3100. Is it state-of-the-art now? No. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, it wasn't the most up-to-date when I got it, but it was mine. And I didn't get it because all the camcorders were being rented out. I got it because I thought that it would improve my videos. And while that is true for the quality, this was the first lesson I had to learn the hard way in filmmaking. The quality of your video doesn't improve the quality of your content. Sound, however, is a very different story. That was also something I had to learn the hard way. But for video, yes. The quality of the screen is not as important as the quality of the content you're filming. Borealis Entertainment presents Get Lost So You Can Find Your Way Home A Podcast Memoir by M.K. Lott Chapter 22, Ogden in Black Traveling somewhere new is always nerve-wracking, but exciting at the same time. Typically, when I fall into this category without someone to help guide me through, I'll go on long walks and just observe what's going on around me. I'm not looking for anything specific, more than I am just trying to get an idea for the vibe of the place. Every place has a different feel to it. Las Vegas, for example, feels very different than New York, and both are extremely different from Salt Lake City or Boise or Cedar City or anywhere else. In a lot of ways, it's really difficult to pin down the energy of some towns because there's always a lot of traffic going on energy-wise. For Ogden, though, I would probably say the biggest word that comes to mind is hidden. Ogden is a very hidden city. Historically, that's also pretty accurate, because aside from the railroad that essentially built the town, Ogden has a very locally known and maybe even beloved underground tunnel system. It was built back in the Prohibition era to smuggle almost anything you can think of. For a more fun way to get some quick history lessons on this, if you're in town, I would advise you check out the bar Unspoken, just for a night. Their cocktails, and pretty much everything on their menu, are named after significant people and events in the history of Ogden's underworld. But 
I guess if there's a consequence to living in a hidden city, there's going to be this feeling of loneliness that accompanies the lifestyle there. And this may have been the ultimate use for it, but walking around the town really helped me ground myself in the present because it mandated that kind of attention. And the more walks I wound up going on, the more I came to find it as something of a coping mechanism. And whenever I would find something worth capturing, I would just take a picture of it. If the lighting was right, or the color was complementing something grander, or if it intuitively just felt solid, I would take a picture. I never really did anything with these pictures, though. They just filled up the storage of my phone. And once I was discovered by the other crew and found a job, the walks turned into fragments of the past that served their purpose. Until I needed something similar again. About a year and a half in, I realized that one of the most effective things for me is to just have some kind of creative outlet, even if that's brainstorming something. In college, for example, and I talked about this in my previous podcast, I used to have a little red notebook that I would put all of my ideas in. And in college, this transformed into something I affectionately call a jiggy. Jiggy, J-I-G-E, is short for Journal for Ideas, Goals, and Experiences. When it comes to what kinds of ideas, goals, and experiences, it really doesn't matter, as long as it's something meaningful to me. That, and it has to fill up an entire page. So in the case that I want to revisit an idea, I know where my mind was at the time, and some of the throwaway thoughts I was having, is right there. They are all right there. Just so that way, I can pick up exactly where I left off. And there was one entry I remember reading and rereading over and over again. Ogden in Black, a black and white photo book that covered the city. Not extensively, but rather intuitively. It would be a revisit of all those little coping trips I took so early on, and trying to figure out a way to combine them all together into something cohesive. There was just one little problem. None of the photos seemed to really click together. Now, I don't necessarily plan on making a living off of photo books or landscape photography, as wonderful as that sounds, but my inner perfectionist always tells me if you're going to do something, you're going to do it right. So, I had to start looking for steps in the right direction, and even more than that, I had to find the motivation to start. Usually, you can tell the likelihood of a perfectionist mindset based on how severely the person procrastinates. Perfectionists tend to procrastinate because if they don't do something, they can't make mistakes because they eliminate the opportunity for mistakes to happen. The problem with that, of course, is you never get anything done, or you half-ass everything at the last second. Probably the most common example of this is cram studying where some students will think subconsciously that if they don't study right now, they won't have to worry about the test. This obviously just turns into avoidant behavior, and in fact, cram studying is one of the worst things you can do, because you don't give your brain time to process or digest all the information. So something I found to help with that is I would hypnotize myself into allowing room for error to occur. Specifically, I would bring in the suggestion that this photo book is designed to just exist, not be perfect. 
And as I was building this mentality up, I decided to invest in a few online courses, namely two from Domestica, to help assure me how to do a photo book and that if I was going to make mistakes, they were going to be minimalized or recovered very quickly, which tells my subconscious, oh, mistakes aren't that bad, I could do this. For those curious to try this for yourself, I took the courses Passion Project, Make Your Creative Ideas a Reality by Carla Bonamini, and Photo Book Design from Concept to Binding by Roberta Donatini. I took the two so I can not only learn how to make a photo book, but also how to structure a project regardless of what it is, just so that way I can go back through the jiggy and look at more projects to do. And I found that for the perfectionism, the more wiggle room I have, the more I quote-unquote don't have to worry about doing something immediately. So, by learning how to structure a project, I now have the ability to put the proper restrictions on myself so I can't say, eh, I, I can just do that later. There was, funny enough, this paradox that seemed to happen where the perfectionism actually came into the scheduling and the budget. Once I knew everything I had to do, I had the most ideal structure that I would be comfortable with, yet challenged by at the same time. It was a, it was a weird phenomenon. The courses weren't very long, so I was able to manage the workload pretty well. Each one was about three hours, four at the most. The Passion Project course was a breeze. I was taught the principle of what makes not necessarily a good passion project, but a successful passion project and it provided a PDF worksheet that was basically just a template to help me block out clearly what I needed to have and make happen. The photo book was the same for the majority of the modules. But there was one module, however, that started to launch me back into perfectionist mode. This is the industry standard, but Roberta Donatini uses Adobe InDesign to help structure and make her photo books, and she explains that all photo books have some kind of theme or narrative that's displayed not just in the photos, obviously, but in the order of the photos. And while I have a pretty decent background in Adobe software, InDesign was not a part of that background. And while I had almost three years worth of photos of Ogden, they certainly didn't have any structure to them, let alone a theme or a narrative aside from, this is Ogden. And I got worried, if not irritated. The perfectionist in me started to take over where I thought, I can't make a photo book unless I know InDesign. I can't use these photos unless I had an intention on how to use them from the very beginning. This rabbit hole is a lot deeper than I thought, so I'm gonna lose more time and energy than I was ready for. Something that I've learned, and I'll be honest, is a dragon I'm still battling is you lose more time and energy avoiding challenges than taking them on. And that terrifies me. And while I don't like using fear as a motivator, I think it promotes the wrong ideas of how you should treat yourself and others, I find that realizing what you're afraid of happening is a great opportunity to rewrite that belief into a belief of motivation, to aspire to something bigger based on what it is you want. If I wanted to, I would pause the photo book to learn Adobe InDesign, so I could just follow the online course to a T. But my ultimate goal, the thing that I used to hold my schedule and myself accountable, wasn't to be prolific in InDesign. It was to make a photo book. 
not the best photo book in the world, not to be a professional photo book maker, the fact that I don't know the official title should be evidence enough of that, it was to just make a photo book. And while I do love the idea of getting good at an Adobe software because digital skills become more important every day, it's not the ultimate goal, which relieved a good amount of weight off my shoulders. Plus, because I had been working on my mindset so much during this time, my ability to pivot skyrocketed. InDesign was way too much to handle for one project without any prior experience. Okay. I just found another alternative software where the UI, or the user interface, was more beginner friendly, and while the options were way more limited, it was enough to get the job done without feeling overwhelmed. I didn't have any way to connect the photos I took. Okay. I took the time then to just sift through all the couple hundred photos I had, pick out the ones I liked, which was no more than 50 because of selection anxiety, and find any consistencies or patterns that I could find. And I wound up going with a few that I was able to organize by elements, like fire, water, ice, etc. And then I subcategorized those with specific times of day or night to help feel like the reader is experiencing time passing. And after about 36 pages, I had my first draft of the photo book. And then I took a look at the price to print a photo book. For good quality pages, the publisher I found was going to charge $56 per copy. And that was not including shipping. And that would be my price, not retail. The lowest choice, however, was $7 per copy, not including shipping, which was doable, but the quality would definitely suffer. Essentially, it was like newspaper where I would probably have to wait for the ink to dry once I got it. So I had to assess what I wanted to do. Do I go for perfect, even if I probably couldn't afford anything that financially severe? Or do I just get the cheap option and tell people it's a prototype? And while I took the Passion Project course, I heard the saying over and over again from Carla. In fact, it was so important, Carla devoted an entire module to it. Done is better than perfect. If I had no mental prep before this, I would have just shrugged it off and had the videos playing in the background while I did something else just to complete the module. But I thought about that phrase nonstop while I was trying to come up with a last minute budget. It's probably the worst route to go down because if I wait for things to be perfect, it will never happen because there's no such thing as perfect. That was the logic I left myself with as I ordered the $7 copy. And two weeks later, I held three years of documenting a hidden city in my hands. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Get Lost So You Can Find Your Way Home. I hope this episode leaves you better than it found you, and if you have some procrastination or perfectionistic tendencies you'd like to work on, just click on the Calendly link below, and I would love to offer some hypnotherapy to help you out. In addition to trips and journeys, I also wanted the podcast to become something of a documentary approach to how I made certain projects. Creative journeys, if you will. If that's of interest to you, or if you took the online courses I mentioned to make your own photo book, feel free to let me know on Instagram, Calendly, email, Messenger Pigeon if you have good enough service, anywhere. But, aside from that, thank you as always, and until next time, here's to finding your way.